0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning online. Good morning in the church. Uh, As we get going, we're going to be in your Bibles, if you have them in the pew on page 799. If not, you can Google Mark 14, uh, verse 32. We're going to be looking at that as well. Um, Pull out your notes and pens, because I think we have some things that uh, the Lord is going to tell us today. So, as we go through this... um, Friday, uh, Jeff had talked about, if you had heard that service, he talked about people were searching. Um, We talked about, obviously, Jesus has sent a savior for mankind to save us from our sins. Uh, We were made in a right relationship with God through Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel. We just sang that. Emmanuel, God with us. is named Jesus because he will save us from our sins. And Jeff talked about people are searching. Some people have a he, he set a, uh, a God-shaped void in their heart, um, and, uh, and they're searching maybe for Jesus, maybe something spiritual. Some of us are even just searching for help of what God might have us do in a situation, what God might have us do in a trial. How do we make a decision uh, that makes sense of everything that's going on? What, God, would you have me do in this situation? What should I do? So as we consider today, what we're going to read about in Mark is we're going to read about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is the moment. We just got done talking Friday night and celebrating yesterday about this cuddly baby. Everybody loves the cuddly babies, but we got done talking. We're talking about Jesus who came as a baby. But he came for this moment that we're going to read about today. This decision in the Garden of Gethsemane Why Jesus came, the reason we celebrate with joy for his birth yesterday, his hour that had come. We celebrated yesterday what he, what the Savior would do today, who saves us from our sins. The baby that we love to see in the manger, who's now severely troubled and distressed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I want you to think, have I ever been distressed? Troubled? Do I have... Some real situations that I'm dealing with. What would God have me do? Well, we can learn a lot about how Jesus dealt with challenges and decisions from studying Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not only can we be reminded in this Christmas season about why the baby came, so that he could make the decision to go to cross for us and die for our sins. But we can also learn by sitting at Jesus' feet about how he handled the situation where he was stressed now, I want you to think, what decisions have I made this year? Really challenging decisions. What, anything that has weighed on you. I want you to think about those. What emotions did you have with that decision? Happy? Sad? Weight of, sho- weight, weight of the world on your shoulders? Really challenging? Troubled about that? I want you to think about those decisions because gonna, I'm going to ask you to think about those as we go forward today and learn from Jesus. So what decisions were they? Related to finance, careers, relationships, husband-wife, moving, ministry, service, parenting? How did those decisions go? Did any of them turn out poorly? Were you driven mostly by how you felt in what you decided with that decision. Consider those. So, supposedly, we make 35,000 decisions in a day. Now, that is on the internet, and I couldn't find one specific source with that, but that's a lot of decisions. Now, they say 95% of those are subconscious. Interestingly enough, they also said that 227 of those are on food alone. Probably 775 of those yesterday or over the Christmas season are on food alone. 95% are subconscious. They say that 30 of those decisions are considered really that we think about and really consequential. Okay? So today, I'm focused on these decisions that weigh on you. What weighs you down? What's heavy for you? Not what I'm going to have for breakfast, although with a family of eight, sometimes that can be a very difficult decision for me. Or when the three-year-old's screaming at you and saying, that's not what I want to eat. I want that after you already made the oatmeal. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm thinking about the decision that's weighing on you. Consider that last decision now. And now consider one that you might have coming up. Is there a decision that you have going into the new year? Are you going about those decisions the same way? Are you going to approach the decision the same way? So we're going to focus on how Jesus handled this situation. So open to Mark. I'm going to read Mark in Gethsemane, chapter 14, verse 32. Again, it's page 799 in your Bibles. Verse 32 to 42. So they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. One more, Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said to, that, said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Let us go. The title of my talk is, let us go or let it go. You choose. So, the first part that I don't want us to lose sight of the fact was that he was in a garden. Now, if you're a believer, you're familiar with a couple gardens, one of them being the Garden of Eden. So when, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about Genesis, but don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is in a Garden of Gethsemane, a new moment, a new decision to be made, where in the fall, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve made the decision to disobey God. Now Jesus is in a moment where he has to choose and make the right decision. The fall is where Adam and Eve chose to disobey. Because of that, we don't think the way we should. Our feelings are corrupted. The way we think sometimes is corrupted. The world groans, we saw in the song. Nature decays, sin entered the world. Things are broken, and we don't focus on right things necessarily. Now, in this garden... Jesus is almost dead with distress. Think about what he said. He's working through a decision that affects him and us all. Now, I know exactly what you're going to say, Tim. This is God. This is Jesus. So he wasn't dealing with this decision. But I want you to know that he knows what he's going. He is God, right? You saying, no, Jesus is God. He knows what to do, and he desires to do it. To that, I would say not necessarily, Yes, he is God. This is a remarkable portrait of Jesus' humanity. You must remember that. He is both God and man. He is distressed to the point of death. He has agony. He has feelings. He has 30 years of past experiences. He has, was involved with humans and human circumstances, and he has to make choices. Here, during this most distressing time, Jesus shows a true model of discipleship. What do we do? As we enter into decisions and challenges that may affect him. So remember, he is God and man. And here we see his humanity like you can't read anywhere else. So we're going to look at a couple verses as we go through this. So in verse 36, he starts with, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. If you didn't get a chance to listen to Jeff a couple weeks ago, Pastor Jeff, talk on motives, I would suggest you go back and read that. Because motive is very important. Because what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, what's my motive? Is it my will or is it your will, God? What is your motive? And Jesus said in verse 36, everything is possible with you. Not what I will, but what you will. So despite this fear and anguish, we know that he felt this way because he said it. We also know he felt this way because the disciples heard it. He trusts God even with the anguish of the decision. He believes that anything is possible. Even that this cup could pass from him. Even though he was sent for our salvation to die on the cross, he is asking the Father if this cup could pass from them. He knew that God could take away this burden. God can help you with your burden of your decision too, even in the most difficult time. So we have to remember that even Jesus, who said, take this cup for me, we may, God may not take this cup, and God did not take his cup. So even in that decision, we want to go to God and understand his will, whatever the challenge is. Now I want to talk a couple things about God's will, just a few things. There's two aspects of God's will here. What I'll call his providential or decreed will, because God is sovereign over all things, or his commanded will. So the providential and decreed will, think of these as the things that God says are going to happen, and they're secret to us, only known to God. He he decrees that they're going to happen. We may not know of them until maybe after the fact. That's what we may say is God's providence. We look back and go, oh, God providentially moved. Isaiah calls these the secret things of the Lord. We don't know all those. They're not revealed to us. It was not revealed to some people um, what God was going to do through all of Israel over time. They did not know necessarily, right? So it's generally revealed through history. God's decreed will can't be thwarted. We can't stop it. It controls all aspects of history and time. We're not commanded to know that. The second part of his will is commanded will. This is In the Bible, right? It's stated in the Bible, which we may or may not do. We can choose to do that will. It can be resisted, disobeyed, or obeyed. It involves that which is good and holy, very specific principles for living. And believers are exhorted to know, understand, and obey all that God has commanded. That's his commanded will. So you have to rest in the fact that God has a will. And it's going to happen. And he also gives us a commanded will to know what's in the Bible. So here's a couple beliefs to consider. And I'll be putting some of these throughout the entire talk. But remember, Jesus said everything is possible in verse 36. Everything is possible. In Matthew, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat or drink, even though we have 227 decisions about this a day, don't worry about your body, what you wear. Who of you can add a single hour to his life by worrying. But seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all things will be added up to you. Do your decisions and channel and decisions and challenges fall under everything? Do they fall under the umbrella of all? They do. So we don't know God's sovereign or providential will necessarily before we make a decision. But we do know, if you know Jesus, that you have a helper? And you have the Holy Spirit who is a counselor and an advocate to teach and encourage us. And we know that God leaves us by providence and his commanded will in Scripture. And Jesus entrusted himself to the Father despite the fear that he felt about what was coming. So the first thing is understand that God is sovereign in his will and he can do everything. Everything is possible as you go to a challenge or decision. The second thing is we need to know, pray, and understand God's will. So in verse 36, he uses that term Abba, and I feel like you can't just say Abba, you have to say Abba, because it's an intimate Aramaic word for father. Matter of fact, the Jewish leaders felt it was so intimate that they didn't want to use it because it was disrespectful to God, but Jesus uses it himself, and then he goes on later and tells his disciples to enter in that relationship with God in the same way. Right, so he shows us right out of the way, right out of the gate, to sit and fall at the feet of Abba, our Father. We have a challenge or decision. Is that the first place you go? The only way to have a relationship through God is by accepting Jesus, that baby who was born in a manger that we celebrated yesterday, who came to Earth to die, and now has a personal relationship with God. Is that personal relationship with Jesus? And Jesus says, hey, people asked him, what must we do? What must we do to do the works of God that God requires? Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. That's him. He said, my Father's will is that everyone who looks at the Son shall believe in him and have eternal life. So Jesus is saying, you want Abba, you got to come to me. So when you're going through that decision, understand everything's under God's will, and you need to come first and foremost to God. Do you do that? So now think through your decision. What is the first place I went? Just to ask someone else. Did I Google it? Or did I go sit at the feet of Abba? The next piece is knowing God. And the next piece of that is pray. He says in verse 32, sit here while I pray. Jesus prayed three times alone in this. Now think about your decision. Or the challenge that you're going through. Did you pray First? Did you pray one time about it? Did you pray a second time about it? Did you pray a third time about it? He says, he tells us to pray continually. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. If you're just wondering what God's will was, for this is God's will for you in Christ, right? So Jesus not only went to Abba, but then he prayed. How often do we pray? If you're a believer and you have a spouse, how often do you do that with your spouse when you're handling a difficult decision? Is your spouse the first one that you bring in as a believer to say, hey, we are one. We need to pray about this decision and about this challenges, right? And then more specifically, as we pray, ask what you need. He says, Jesus says very specifically exactly what Philippians 4, 6 says. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything in every situation, by prayer and petition, petition is a very specific ask for what you need. Very specific. And Jesus says, he's not vague. He's, he doesn't say, "Be with me, Father." He says, "Take this cup from me." Right? As a man, he says, "Take this cup for me." and when we're making decisions, we may say, "Take this cup for me." God may say, "No, but you need to continue through this decision-making process, right? But ask very specifically. Of what you want. And ask for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom. He should ask God. Who gives generously to. Only Dominic. When he's asking. Nobody else. No he gives to all. Right. All who ask. Without finding fault. Right. And we may not ask rightly all the time. But that's why we want to have. Be in the right relationship. We want to check and make sure it's aligned with scripture. Understand our motives. And. And. Make sure we can think through and, and talk through our feelings. And that's why we want to go to God's word, which is that third point. Relationship with Abba, pray, understand God's word in, in the decisions that you're making. Now, it goes on to talk about in verse 49, which we didn't read, that every day, Jesus says, when he's making a defense for himself, he says, every day I was with you in the courts, teaching. So Jesus knew God's word. And you're like, yeah, but he, he's God. Yes, he's also a man who at the age of 12, everyone heard him in the temple saying, I heard him and was amazed at his understanding and answers, and he grew in wisdom and understanding, which is a reference to God's word, the scriptures, and God's law. And we're called to do the same thing. He references, even in this Garden of Gethsemane, Old Testament passages about the cup, And the cup of wrath that was in the Old Testament, he's making those references. His laments actually echo the refrains of the suffering servant in the Psalms. So Jesus knows the scriptures just like we must know the scriptures when we go to a decision. You have to understand what that says. The Bible calls us to be diligent and present ourselves approved, accurately handling the word of truth. So now, think back to your decision. Did I sit at the feet of Jesus? Did I pray first and continuously about it? Have I prayed specifically about it? And did I go in and search the scriptures? Now, when we say that, I don't mean, well, I read through my devotion today. What I mean is, I'm really dealing with something financially. Look up all of the financial passages that the Bible has to say. I'm dealing with a relationship Look and study all of the passages on relationship, understand the context, think on it, meditate on it. It's not a one-time thing, just like prayer is not. It's going back and searching uh, those scriptures and being diligent in that. Now again, I can hear you again. Come on, Tim, this is Jesus we're talking about. Uh, He's about to be captured and crucified, so of course he's going to turn to God. Who else is he going to turn to? He's God, so he's going to go do it. I'm only dealing with a little decision or challenge in my life. Well, I say, hmm, Jesus sets the example that no matter what challenge or decision, nothing is too great or too small. In his most distressing time, he goes to God, even in the not so distressing times, When he's by himself, he goes to God. He was at a wedding festival, drinking wine. He turned to God first before he created his first miracle. Now, in his most distressing time, he turns to God. Right? Nothing is too big or too small, so come to Abba, pray, and seek and understand God's word as you're making those decisions. Sometimes as a, when I'm counseling people and they'll say, hey, I'm, I'm making this decision, one of the first questions I will ask is, what does the Bible say about it? Right? So you want to make sure you have an understanding of what the scriptures do say about that. So now we've talked about motives, understanding God's will and being within God's will. We've talked about knowing, praying, and seeking and understanding God's word. I want to spend a little bit of time on feelings. So we live in an interesting culture today. So Jesus, in verse 34 here, Jesus says, Jesus was deeply distressed and troubled. This means in deep agony. Again, I've had decisions where I've been distressed about, I've been worried about, I've had anxious He's, this is an overwhelming decision for him. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In Luke, Luke says he was in anguish. His disciples were even exhausted from sorrow. So here's the thing about feelings. Feelings are a gift from God. God has feelings. It's all throughout the Bible. He's a God of feelings. We are made in his image. So guess what? We also have feelings. Here's the difference. God expresses his feelings with complete righteousness We don't, right? Because of the fall, we still have feelings, and feelings are right and good, but they are very poor drivers of decisions. So I want to unpack that a little bit. As I said, it's normal to have feelings and passions, right? It helps us express the highs and lows of life. The fall affects that. Jesus had significant feelings. God, so he, as God, understands our feelings. How can we relate? He can relate to us, and we should be able to relate to him. But our society is what I would call a feeling culture, right? Again, feelings are not wrong. We just, they're just poor drivers of decisions, so they can inform you, right? Many people are determined by how they feel in any given moment. Has anybody ever felt that way? Like, I just, this is how I feel. This is what I want to do, Right? I don't feel like doing that, so this is what I want to do, right? So we hear phrases, if it feels right, do it. That's the mantra, I think, today. We hear phrases like, it just feels right. That's how I feel. I don't have a piece about that. This is one time. Follow your heart. My heart tells me to do this. In other words, about a dozen country artists sing this song, if it feels so right, how can it be so wrong, so emotions are what I'll call playground bullies. Has anybody ever experienced a playground bully? That they just shove you around. They're really annoying and constantly making you do, maybe act the wrong way or avoid situations. If you let feelings do that, they will push you around, right? Making life difficult for everybody. And we conveniently forget the wisdom and truth we have learned. Some of us from the scripture that we've learned. Some of us maybe from good truths that you have learned from other people, um, and we tell ourselves, it's okay, everybody's doing it. Well, I don't want to miss out. No one will find out. It's a once-in-a-lifetime deal. It's not wrong, technically. But we are not to let our emotions get the best of us. And Jesus goes in, in verse 38, he tells the disciples to watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing But the body is weak. So not only in this passage do we have a great example of Jesus dealing with decisions and distress. We have a great example of how the disciples remind us about our weakness in this moment. They are tired. They are physically weak. They're a great example to remember that we're fallen and weak when we go into these decisions. They were emotionally and physically fatigued. They suggest probably they've already been up past midnight. They have probably had at least four glasses of wine as they were d- passing the cup with each other at this point. Jesus has told them to be up. They're, they have emotions that are, are coming and going with them. That causes physical fatigue. It takes their toll. Our body and flesh may fail despite our willingness to do that. right? If anybody's dealt with any big emotions, you know that's like, oh, I'm either really tense Right, or I'm exhausted, I can't think, I'm not doing right things. So, we should re- be reminded, as the disciples in this moment also had a sense of weakness, we do as well, and we have to be aware of that. And this term here that Jesus uses, temptation, can also be used as tested. So, he's saying, Hey, I understand you're tired. But you need to remain alert for me, now maybe for a lookout as well as other people were coming, but also be alert for me in the sense of spiritually alert. So when we're in this challenge and we're in decisions, are we aware of what's going on physically and emotionally? And are we also spiritually alert? So we don't fall into the wrong temptation. We need to be prepared for that. So the question is on your last decision, did you make, were your feelings doing the driving for you? (laughs) God bless you. You've heard Jeff say this before. Jeremiah 17 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I think this proverb is even more poignant. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. You have to be careful. Now, the good thing is, if you believe in Jesus, we have a new heart, but we are still dealing with the fall. Right? So we have a new heart, we've received the Holy Spirit, but we're still impacted by the fall. So the thing is, in today's culture, feelings create our truth rather than truth informing our minds and feelings. In today's culture, people's feelings inform their truth. In other words, I feel this way, so this is who I am, or this is what I'm going to do. That is the truth that I have. You may feel that way, Steve. I don't feel that way. Therefore, it's the truth for you. It may not be the truth for me, right? But those feelings may not line up with the facts. So we have to be very careful with that. The only other point I want to make about this is something that to be wary of is a term called mysticism. Mysticism is this sense of trying to decipher what God has us through signs and feelings subjectively applied to the spiritual realm. So we have feelings, and then we have this idea of signs and, and being deciphered, and they're subjectively applied to what we need to do. So they're related a little bit. It's a belief that the spiritual reality and faith are verifiable by inward feelings, judgment, and experience. That one has kind of a special receiving line between Jesus and God and this line of communication Here's the key, though it's not substantiated by God's word. So that's the peace when you go back and think about God's word. We may, we may hear and feel things. I feel warm about this. I feel tingly. I have a peace about it. It's a subjective experience of feelings or circumstances, peace, and in some cases, even one would say the Holy Spirit's prompting. So listen to me on this. God can and does work through providence. He works certainly through the Holy Spirit. He even has, by direct means, by speaking to you, by giving you dreams, visions, and prophets, he definitely has the ability to do that. However, all must be checked through the truth of God's word. The Holy Spirit is only gonna tell you what he knows about scripture. That is it. So all feelings, all circumstances, all of those things, we can't have this presumptuous mysticism Um, about God communicating us in a special way separate from God's word. We must test all things through God's word, all right? Um, Proclaiming special revelation of God's word by the Holy Spirit, apart from scriptures, really lays the groundwork for deception and bad decision-making and challenges. So we have to be very, very careful with that. That's why we ask for wisdom, that biblical knowledge and understanding which is applied to righteous living and a holy end. God has chosen to relate to us by, yes, our heart. He gives us emotions, but also our minds. Right? Matthew says, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's our ability to think on things, meditate on things, understand scripture. So, you know these long, immortal words, dare I say, from Elsa from Frozen. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it Go, let it go, right? She's free to pursue her feelings. That's what's happening here. She's free to pursue her inner being, her feelings. This is how I feel. We must, yet, we must trust and obey God's words with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So our feelings, again, drive feelings, circumstances, those things. Not wrong in of themselves, but we must interpret those things. One of the things I need is, anybody know what this sign is? What is that? This is a Vulcan sign, right? It's really hard to do for some people. But everybody, some of us, may know Spock from Star Trek, right? Well, I think we need a little more Spock in our lives sometimes. So the idea with the Vulcans is that they think about all logic, no feelings, We have to balance this understanding our feelings are poor drivers. We must check them through scripture. Therefore, we must use our minds to think through that. So that's where we sit at Abba's feet and we pray and we seek God's understanding. We make sure our feelings are in check. And then the other piece, we reject mystical experiences so that we're not taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy. With that, we'd seek companionship. So now that we have our kind of understand we're in God's will, we seek, pray, and seek after the scriptures. We're checking our feelings. We seek companionship and godly counsel. In verse 33, Jesus says he took Peter, James, and John. In his hour of need, his most distressing time, Either he desired their presence in this time of crisis or because they were the ones who willingly expressed their desire to suffer with him. Either way, he took these companions with him for companionship and support, to share the burden with them. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. And also to be on the lookout, to keep watch. Your companions can be on the lookout and keep watch for you, to give you the support, to share that burden with you. Verse 38, he says, get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. So as a companion, I would say, you want to seek godly counsel. You want to seek somebody who has the understanding of the word and to be able to share those things. Most men do not do this. They don't like to share things. Actually, we usually move into a cave or we move away from situations. Most women will then go have seek a relationship. You just make sure that relationship is has is is godly in its being, right? So we kind of do two different things there, right? Um, but we must make sure that if we are going to come alongside somebody, that we do not fall into temptation, that if we are going to be someone's companion, that we are physically, emotionally, and spiritually ready to be someone's companion, and that we provide godly counsel with those decisions. But godly counsel and companionship is critical to Jesus during his time of distress, as well it should be to ours, to not walk that alone. Who did you turn to in your last major decision that you were thinking about? If you're a husband and wife and you're both believers, did you turn to your spouse first and foremost? Who was your companion during that conversation? So the last piece is if you check your motives with God and we know, pray, and seek God through his word, we're aware of our feelings and we seek godly counsel as we're making decisions, then guess what? We can walk in faith with boldness. So this is where it comes back to, let us go or let it go. Which choice are you going to make? Because Jesus said in verse 42, enough, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So and in the movie, if you watch the, the Passion of the Christ, one of the, the coolest scenes, I think, in there is that he's in distress in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the, the, the devil is worshiping in his, in his head. It's like you can't do this. You don't want to make the decision. This is not a good thing. And then the serpent shows up again, the snake. And Jesus, you could see, looks up, makes the decision, it stomps on the snake, and then says, Okay, enough. Let us go. So he went through that human nature of feelings, and now he's fully embraced the decreed will of God. And I'm gonna move, I'm gonna move forward. So if we are checking our motives, praying and seeking God, coming to Abba. We're aware of our feelings. We're not letting them drive us and checking them. And with godly companionship, we can walk in faith and boldness and confidence, right? We could focus on whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's noble, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. Think on such things. We can be God-honoring. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, Give all the glory of God. We can be right thinking with all humility. Count others as more important than yourselves. We can walk in integrity because he who walks in integrity walks securely. Then you can be free to understand that I have Christian liberty to walk in. I am free. I have checked with God, Abba, and I've prayed. I've walked through. I've made a decision. I've got godly counsel I understand the biblical principles about this, and I can now walk in Christian freedom understanding and taking confidence that, as Romans 8.28 says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So you can make the decisions and walk through those challenges with that confidence. And you can rise boldly as you've made those decisions and say, let us go. Not let it go. Let's pray.